0: Hello everyone. Welcome to Russia's World. Today we have a special guest. We have Dr. Cornelius N. Grove. How are you doing today? I'm fine.
1: How are you? I'm, I'm speaking to you from the other side of the continent, you know. You're in Vancouver and I'm in Brooklyn, New York.
0: And we're communicating here on Zoom. Um, that's wonderful. Can we um, get started here with the toughest question of them all? How would you briefly describe yourself? I know so in a few minutes, what <laughs> would you say? anything I thought that you, were, I
1: thought you were allowed a half hour for the self-description <laughs> um well I am an ethnologist an ethnologist don't get confused with an ethologist an ethologist studies animals an ethnologist compares and contrasts cultures and societies to see what can be learned for either one in some cases um so uh, an ethnologist might be one who also is an anthropologist and actually does the participant observation in in the societies but i think more often and this certainly is my case that i work with the publications of anthropologists who have carried out extensive um, participant observation Uh, by extensive I mean months and months and sometimes years in a society and then they write about it they write books they write journal articles and that is my raw material Uh, I I do have a doctorate in education from Columbia And when I was acquiring that doctorate many years ago, I very quickly became fascinated by anthropology and the doctoral dissertation I did used anthropological methods. Uh, So, uh, but that's probably the only actual participant observation that I've done. I've had a varied career since then, and we, we better not go into that.
0: Hey, that's wonderful. So, uh, your book that we're going to talk about here, your your most recent book, is "How yeah. Other Children Learn: What Five Traditional Societies Tell Us About Parenting and Children's Learning." So um, yes. that sounds fascinating, and we're gonna we're gonna get into what you've experienced. And I mean, that that lifestyle sounds fascinating too. You get to travel quite a bit as well, isn't that amazing? Well,
1: so? yes, but I wrote about so this book discusses five traditional societies. Mm -hmm. I haven't personally visited any of them Mm -hmm. although I did in 1972 in Africa I did pass through the central town for one of them but I was on a overland trek and uh, at that time I didn't have even the slightest idea that I would be writing a book of this type
0: (laughs) and here you are so
1: um So I haven't visited any of these societies. I have traveled quite a bit, but um, not to any of these. So I rely on the work of anthropologists who don't just pass through, they go and live there. They form relationships, they get involved, they make friends, they ask lots and lots and lots of questions and they do lots and lots of observations and they write it all down. And I'm on the other end of that.
0: Okay, that's wonderful. So um, you were talking about parenting and children's learning. So I want to start off with parenting here. So those are two aspects. And I find people are very sensitive about two things I found. One is their sanity. And the other one is their parenting skills. So people are very sensitive about that. And you yourself have three sons, if I'm correct?
1: I do. They're all adults now. Long gone.
0: Great. So let's get uh, to look at that. I'm a parent myself of a 14 year old boy. And so um, what are some of the things that you have discovered? uh, And again, uh, what has been discovered about these uh, different uh, uh, traditional ways of living and these different places? And then we want to kind of see what are some things that we can benefit from? How could that be a benefit for our own parenting styles? Again, without blaming parents or anything like that. I know people are very sensitive. I had them on my podcast too. But we want to look at what works best, best practices. So, first off, how would you describe the parenting and parenting skills of these uh, traditional societies that uh, you? Well, uh,
1: I, I can't answer that until I answer another question. And that is, what are we talking about here, traditional societies? Mm-hmm. Because I can't emphasize enough that. The five societies that are the focus of my book are all very different from ours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me first just name the societies so we're not being mysterious about that. Uh, one was uh the Aka hunter gatherers of Central Africa. They're the ones where I passed through their territory many decades ago. Um they're a hunter gatherer group. And you can imagine they live in the middle of a forest. That's very, very different from what we're doing here. Um, The second one uh, is the Quechua of Highland Peru. They live in the High Andes. By High Andes, I mean that they live out their lives between 12 and 18,000 feet in altitude that's where they live there's not a lot of things to eat up there Uh, that's a very different environment extremely different from anything that we have in Vancouver or New York or pretty much anywhere in between Mm -hmm. the third is the Navajo uh, Indians of our own American Southwest here uh people have uh, most of your listeners and if not all of them will have heard of the navajos before the fourth society are the village arabs of the levant i know that not everyone is familiar with the term levant if you can imagine in your mind where israel and syria and lebanon are then you know where the levant is that's the levant's a little bit larger than that but that's basically the levant they the the village arabs of the levant are the heirs of the bedouin uh, nomads i had hoped that i could make that chapter about the bedouin nomads but too little very little research by anthropologists of childhood has been carried out among the bedouins themselves there still are some who um are in, the, are in the desert who uh, move about, they're, they're nomads. But uh, in this case, these folks have sort of come in from the desert, they're right on the edge of the desert and they've maintained many, if not most, of the Bedouin traditions as, as concerns child rearing and family life and so on. Hmm. The fifth group were the Hindu villagers of India. And uh, there are many, you know, India is a huge society, a huge culture, uh, I guess, about to surpass China in 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 population. Uh, And what we hear about India mostly are the more urban and industrialized parts. They're big in computers and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. But many, many millions of people in India still live traditional lifestyles. Mm Now, let me just say a bit about what we mean when I, so those are the societies, and I've emphasized how where they live is quite unlike where we live. And let me look at that another way and say that uh, one of the most important things about a traditional society is that uh, almost without exception, there are some exceptions, uh, these families just can't nip over to the supermarket and get their next meal. They have to worry about, I mean, they have to actively worry every day, uh, and especially at several seasons of the year, about food. They have to get it, they have to store it, they have to raise it, they have to raise crops, they have to raise animals, or they have to hunt it, or they have to gather it. So that's a huge, huge difference. And it means that traditional families are very much in touch in a way that folks like you and me aren't anymore with their natural surroundings. Another thing that's important for me in, this, in, in doing this book is I wanted a society where there was either no schools at all, or only some of the adult, only some of the children were now beginning to go to school, but virtually no Adult at the time these studies were done had attended school. Uh, Maybe the youngest parents might, but on up, people in their thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, they had no no personal experience of classrooms. Um, So those are really some of the of the uh, main features, and I might have opportunity to mention uh, a few more. But um, one more thing all of these societies are very oriented toward family. When we say family, we mean extended family. Uh, Probably where you live, I really don't know much about you, so I might be wrong about this, but certainly in my case and most of the people around here, the family is the nuclear family. The children grow up, they go away. Uh, Very unusual for the aging parents to live with the family. I mean, it still happens, but um, it's, you know, it's it, things are very different these days. But in these kinds of, um, of societies, uh, we mean, when we say family, we mean parents, children, uncles, aunts, uh, grandmother, grandfather, cousins everywhere. And they tend to have a lot of children as well. So this is a very large group of people, and there there is there's a a sense of loyalty and unity, and commitment to the family. The family is the thing. Uh, Some some authorities say, and I think this actually makes a lot of sense. Whereas in our individualistic society, self refers to me. In a commut, so the term that's often used as opposed to individualistic is communitarian. Another one is collectivist. I prefer communitarian. In those families, in those societies, self refers to us, to the family, and at the head of the family is usually the most the, uh, the most senior male. And that person in those societies have quite a lot of decision-making power. Uh, Women definitely have a role to play and some women can end up being, you know, pretty much the head of the family. Uh, So uh, it's hard to generalize, but if we must generalize, then the, the main decision maker for that group of people is the oldest male. So that's what we're talking about here and clearly, these are folks who are living lives, (coughs) excuse me, unlike our lives.
0: Uh, Yeah, very different. So in terms of family too, so who makes, so the decisions about, Like we say it takes a village to raise a child. So that kind of, that idea exists here. That idea
1: comes out of a communitarian background. And that idea is difficult to fly in our individualistic Mm -hmm. culture. because the value system of our culture is that the parents and only the parents are responsible Mm -hmm. (laughs) it is very different situation in a communitarian society in a traditional family
0: My experience has been a dysfunctional family. So how do they manage it? How do they make it work and function for me? Because that idea, like, although one part of me would like it, I think in reality, it wouldn't work. There'll be a clash of of different opinions and uh, individualism. So that's, again, my mindset. So how did they make it work in that, in those communities?
1: Well, let me say this. Um, in part the answer is I don't know Mm -hmm. in part the answer is in a study like this or in the study of anthropologists that the long-range participant observation that they carry out their their main goal is to understand how a society how a culture is working when it's working well Mm -hmm. yeah in my book for example and this is true of my other books as well if i had gone into all the things that could go wrong and you know told stories about this dysfunctional family and that one and how that was resolved or maybe not resolved then the books that i am putting out would not be this thick <laughs> yeah. right they would That's be two or three times this thick and who would want to read that so um I think that anthropologists and ethnologists like myself perform a service by saying, you know, when this is working reasonably well, this is how it works. And there are families, maybe they're even in the majority, when it's working pretty well almost all of the time. So in other words, we're not talking about something that really is a fiction. Mm -hmm. Not every family is dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. Families have problems. I mean, every family has problems. I don't want to have anybody believe that, uh, whereas we have lots of problems in our societies, that the golden age of parenting and, and families was in, with our ancestors uh, <clears throat> and traditional families today. Those two live very similarly. It's very strongly believed that if you want to understand how your ancestors lived a long time ago, look at traditional societies today.
0: There's a lot uh, we can learn from that, too, because I think that's what I'm fascinated about, that when we're comparing with other cultures. And I've myself consider myself a bit of a global nomad because I have lived and I am from different cultures, too. And it's fascinating to see how the the, the, the way of thinking is different, the lifestyle, the ideas, and trying to find for me, not just one is better than the other, but like a mix, a hybrid. Of those things, and so when we look at the American family and North American family, um, we see there are issues, for example, with chores. Like children are hard to persuade to do the chores and to 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 pull their weight, whereas it comes more naturally in a family-oriented settings. Is that correct?
1: Well, I I'm glad you brought that up. I wrote a whole chapter on just Great. that topic. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you asked and. I didn't plant that question with you. You you just ask it. Uh, On the other hand, I'm I'm uncomfortable with your use of the word natural Mm -hmm. as though in a traditional family somehow through genetic inheritance. Children end up being taking responsibility in major ways. Uh, No, they also have to be trained. Now, remember, the training takes place in a family in which the value system, which the children are picking up gradually from the first day of life, but this training is going on in a communitarian value system where people are united, at least in many, if not most families, people are united in prioritizing the needs of the family. Well, how do they prioritize the needs of the family? Well, one way is how they raise their children. And the way they do that, among many, many other things, and again, we're talking in big generalizations here, right? What I'm saying, I'm generalizing now about traditional societies, and there are exceptions. I even have exceptions in my book. I'm aware of the exceptions in just the five societies I looked at. So I know that there are exceptions. Nevertheless, anthropologists, when they're thinking about these societies and writing about them, uh, they realize even more strongly than than I do because, you know, they're more deeply into it than I am, that uh, really you can make some generalizations that fit a lot of traditional societies. And what happens is as soon as a child is able to toddle, forward they ask it to do things that benefit the group for example it's in it's early in the morning people are up the fire needs to be kindled and make, and you know get it going so you can make your breakfast An, a, a a toddler can bring some sticks for the fire what is this weigh? one ounce or something a little thing it's not going to really make that much difference to the fire it's not the point not the point the point is that from their very first days they are encouraged and expected to contribute to the greater good of the unit in which they live which is the extended family
0: this uh, reminds me
1: Maybe grandpa could use a cup of water. Well, would you please bring grandpa a cup of water? One of the most amazing stories in that I came across in in all of my research, and it's by an anthropologist who lives not far from you now. She lives in nama Nama Namaino. Is that how you say Nam Namino? Nanaimo. Say it again.
0: Nanaimo. Nama, Nanaimo. Nanaimo. Yeah.
1: she now yeah. lives in Nanaimo oh cool and uh, so I've been in touch with her um nice. but she's she's the one that that worked with for many years with the Quechua of Highland Peru and she said she tells this story the first time she went into this community nobody knew her she was a guest and she sat she was taken to a family's abode, uh, probably just a hut, and she was probably expected to sit on the ground. And so the mother and maybe the older daughters were preparing, you know, they were going to do whatever they do when guests come. They're very hospitable. And there was a three year old girl. And the three year old girl, without any uh, input from the parents, without being asked, Went and got two cups of water, brought them to the anthropologist, kept one for herself, gave one to the anthropologist, and wished the anthropologist in the local language. She wished the anthropologist good health, and they drank together. Three years old. Mm-hmm.
0: It, it reminds me of uh, the, the program I saw about uh, the, the Japanese with the first errands. So when you're a toddler, you're like two or three and you ba- barely walk and they send you off to to buy things. And uh, at that point, like when I saw it, it seemed to me like child abuse to from the Western mind again, very much so. But then it's like, when you look at it, It's the contribution you are making and making you feel useful in whatever small way, as you're saying, a cup of water and so on, because then you feel part of it. You feel that you belong. And it's like you're psychologically giving them that message. You're part of this group. And so we share things together. So you're not isolated, which we see, which is, I think, one of the main driving problems of of today's North American society, isolation, loneliness. Yes. And there is a way of maybe priming for towards that from a very young age, like you're saying, a three year old.
1: Right. Right. So, uh, very good, very good observation. Um, so the thing about it isn't, you know, here, here's one of the differences between traditional society and our society. This is one of the, one of the big ones in their society they need children every able-bodied person in the household in the extended family needs to contribute to the ability of that family to live and maybe even to th- to thrive it's a group project the emphasis is on us not me thriving but us thriving i came up with uh With a little what is it one two three seven word saying about this Mm -hmm. the the spirit in in those societies is what i want is what we need that's what i want
0: okay yeah
1: um so uh you know in our society you talk about being isolated absolutely uh, but as individually, oh, I, I was making the point about they need their children. They need them to help with the labor as soon as they can and to take respons- to take their share of responsibility for the family's income, whatever that looks like. It's not necessarily money, mm-hmm. right? Their they're wherewithal. And then when the parents... Um, get old and infirm and can't really contribute anymore and they're probably at this point grandparents and getting a great deal of respect they need the children to take care of them they don't have old folks homes they don't have uh, retirement communities people are taking taken care of by them by their own families by their own children so in american families and maybe I could say North American families, many of them anyway, parents don't need their children. Now, I think at this point, some of your listeners are saying, well, but, but, hey, wait a minute. I didn't say parents don't love their children. I said parents don't need their children in the practical sense of contributing one. And all contributing to the greater good of all to make it possible for them to survive and even to thrive takes a lot of work. It takes physical work. We don't need that. We, we, it's, uh, life has become incredibly easy for us. We don't need it. Didn't say they don't love. Traditional children love, traditional parents and grandparents love their ch- young children american north american parents and grandparents love their young children but only one of those needs their children so this this is a very different ethos that is driving family life and so i have to say that it means that we have to be very careful about copying you know looking at the way though they do things and i did come up with some very interesting differences and i i can go through those in a minute but certainly we've already started to talk about one and I, as i said i have a whole chapter in this book about this and that is how do children take responsibility well in individualistic society parents really are uh, they're very busy giving their children things they're they're protecting them they're giving them fun experiences they're giving them educational experiences they're enabling them to play sports they're looking after them 24 7 and they're they're, so really what's going on here is a great deal of parent to child giving Um, so (laughs) in traditional families it really goes the other way the expectation is that the child is giving things to the parents In early life, it's giving labor, beginning as soon as they can walk, very small things, and growing, 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 and in terms of their intelligence, their strength, their agility, and so forth. So as they grow, they get more and more responsibilities. Um, What seems to happen with American parents, and maybe North American parents, is that we've gotten so Used to giving things to our children, and even worse, our children have gotten so used to receiving things that, you know, sometimes when they're, sometime, let's say when they're 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, you know, it's crazy The parents are dead busy all day long and they think, oh, maybe, you know, the child here, well, the child could help, they could, they could take out the garbage, they could help wash the dishes or you do this. And this is a totally new idea to children yes and their you know parents say well, i ended up doing it myself because yeah. they're just too damn hard to convinced you know i asked them to do it and they just ignore me or they do it once and they won't repeat it
0: it takes more but effort responsive. to convince them yeah <laughs> yeah yeah
1: so i mean i mean this was this was a very interesting chapter to write because this is what probably the only thing that I believe that we can come very close to copying the parenting style and uh, dynamics of traditional societies. And it's because it's so simple. At a very, very early age, you need to start expecting the child to contribute to the welfare of the family. You need to continue that and figure out you know, increasing ways in terms of intelligence, in terms of strength, in terms of agility, uh, uh, in, in how they can do this. This is difficult in in, in North America and in middle-class families because we, we don't have to raise our food. Our water is piped in. Electricity, we just we just flip a switch. We have to cook something. We flip a thing on the stove. So, what is there for a child to do? This is a real problem. But theoretically, at least, if we start very young the way traditional families do, and I mean very young and, and continue adding responsibilities, I think we have a much better chance, and we certainly see this happening in the case of the traditional families. Another big difference is, of course, in our case, it's all happening in an individualistic mindset and individualistic ethos where what I want is what I need. Whereas on the other side, in the traditional families, the ethos is what I want is what we need. Still, I think there's something to be learned here.
0: What, what I like and what we do and practice in our, in our family is kind of a team-oriented way. So we, we see each other as a team. And it does not it's not a democracy. So I, my, my son cannot decide to go to school or not go to school.
1: So you're um, the senior male, right? But,
0: but yeah. But in that sense, <laughs> we do work together. And if there is criticism from my son that is justified, I do accept it. Sometimes it hurts and we have to swallow our pride in many cases. Yeah. But I, what I see is one of the issues is that parents take the roles kind of too seriously. Sometimes they see themselves as parents and they're kind of ordering and bossing the children around and that's cases of that. And the answer is always because I say so. And that doesn't work because what I've always tried with reasoning Now, I've also created a monster because now he reasons at times, sometimes better than myself. So I feel kind of trapped. But I think that's important, though, for them to be able to think for themselves, to express themselves and so on. Now, I I grew up in in Iran. So, I mean, I was born in Iran. I I grew up in Germany. But the Iranian, the Persian family is, is more like together, united. But at the same time, there's the authority and your parents tell you what you should do, what you should not do and so on. And I was always rebelling against that and I didn't like it, I still don't like it. So when, when for me, that is that is not helpful. So finding kind of the balance between the two of seeing each other as a team and valuing the opinions of your children. And I think we need to do more of that as, as, as parents. Tough, it's tough though.
1: Well, uh... I hear you I have no disagreement however I would point out that even even when you were in well you started off in Iran I gather you didn't stay there very long but certainly Germany Mm -hmm. is uh, much more individualistic than it is communitarian so everything that you just described which i totally understand and i'm not disagreeing with any of it but i just like to say that it all happened in a highly individualistic culture yes that is true so this is a very big difference from the societies that i look at in my book which are communitarian where the ethos is what i want is what we need so in those societies children are not expected to express themselves they're not really expected to have opinions they're not really expected to make decisions for themselves about what i'm going to wear and uh you know what i'd like to eat i mean my goodness we have parents in north american societies that i i I mean it's hard for me to even believe this but i i know of, of at least a few cases fortunately not in the majority pe- pe- parents will or mothers you know will actually ask their child at every meal what would they like to eat that's just just as far as you can be from a communitarian society in a communitarian society as a child food is put in front of you and by the way you might not be allowed to eat first the senior people eat first the children and the and the women each second i'm not saying that's a great idea i'm saying i'm emphasizing that i'm emphasizing that it's a whole different ethos about how the family operates and who's important here and who's making decisions for whom eventually those children will grow up they'll get married they'll have some children of their own they'll have some authority over their children and hopefully they'll become grandparents and then they'll be really important, you know, so.
0: That's a great point reversed. too. If we look yeah. at our, our families, they're smaller. So we have like one, we have one, but others have two children and so on, maybe three, you know, but in these right. uh, other families, they're, they're very big. And for me, just the imagining, trying to remember like, getting the name straight would be tough for, as, for a parent. So then you don't get the attention. And that has drawbacks but it also has benefits when you're just part of that group it's not the special atten- attention you would get from parents so i think it can go both ways yeah
1: let me say one more thing about responsibility and then i'd like to just tell you some of the other things that that For sure. came out of this when when young children begin to take responsibility and then to gain responsibility As they get older, stronger, smarter, and so forth, you're not going to find traditional parents saying, Good job, good job, hey, that was great. No, really, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, 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 none of that. That's what you do when, that's what people, that's what parents do when they are actually responsible and they are asking a favor for somebody who wouldn't necessarily do that. And then they say, "Oh, you know, you did it well. Thank you, thank you. You really helped." You don't have to. You don't do that in traditional societies or in the communitarian societies. This is what we do here. It's normal life. We all contribute. Yeah,
0: yeah. I like that. I mean, just uh, just kind of jumping ahead though with education. I, I I feel that that same thing, that same tension, because when when my students hand in their work. I'm not supposed to tell thank you, good job for doing it. You just did your duty. So in, in many exactly. ways, this comes as accepted. And so so there, there's also that shift when we see in the educational system where it's like the, the individual rights are valued too much. And for me, some, everything needs to be in moderation to like not go overboard. And like you are saying, the good job is to make them feel good is, is perfect, but not for everything. And so finding the, the right balance, that's that's what I uh, work with and that's what I struggle with sometimes too. So let's
1: talk about education, or as I prefer, learning. Yeah. Um you have to so the pre the two previous books that I wrote before this one were about education they were I, I as an ethnologist i looked at east asian societies east asia being uh, china japan korea taiwan hong kong and some people would include singapore but not not in what i did um and what what has been seen for decades ever since the early 1970s is that on the international comparative tests and in other ways, it's obvious that East Asian students learn more, learn faster and make better use of it in practical ways than American students can. Big generalization, but at the level of big generalizations, it's true. I didn't say that no American child is brilliant and you know i said that we're looking at a big swatch of society here um well what i found was the reason the reason this is true is because there are differences in east asian society with families and there's differences in what happens in school classrooms so i wrote a book about the family side of that equation and i wrote a book about the school side of that equation but so that brought me up more to the present and i thought i'd like to write a book now where i'm not writing about classroom instruction Mm -hmm. but let's look at learning so that's why the book is entitled how do other children learn Mm -hmm. not american not japanese not children in any kind of industrialized computerized technologically advanced society we're talking about ...traditional societies, we're talking about indigenous societies, even hunter-gatherers. So the nature of what a child has to learn in that kind of society is very, very different. They have to learn practical and social skills. Now that takes in an awful lot. But they do not have to learn how to read. They do not have to learn how to add, subtract, multiply, divide, and all of that. They don't have to learn the state capitals. They don't have to, all of these things that we have them learning. But what they do have to learn is very, very important because it really depends, you know, their survival and the survival of their extended family. So how do they learn this? How do they get taught that? Well, the answer is this. We all, and this is one of the generalizations that's very broadly true, maybe not every time. In traditional societies, in indigenous societies, children learn by watching. They watch. They're expected to watch. They're they they're raised. Who, so who who is raising them that they have to do all this watches watching? Well, it's not their parents. As soon as a child is weaned, the child in almost all of these societies is released into the care of the next oldest sibling or cousin. Children raise children. And the children's group in these settlements and these camps in these small towns is a very important social... Uh, Structure and the children in some of these societies can pretty much do whatever they want. It's really quite amazing. I mean, it's shocking to American parents. <laughs> yeah. uh, and nevertheless, even though the, the children aren't herded, they're not protected. I mean, think of this they're, the parents don't worry about protecting the children, the children figure it out for themselves. This is one of the things that it's really jaw-dropping for Americans and North Americans in many cases. Um, So they, they, but what anthropologists have found is that the children learn the social skills and the practical skills, the survival skills, by watching. They. On their own or in small groups or in pairs they trial and error they they kind of learn and then eventually they begin to pitch in and as a matter of uh, one anthropologist has called this lopi so people you'll hear people in anthropological circles talking about lopi that means learning by observation and pitching in that's how they learn Now, the interesting thing I realized as I was doing this study is that American children learn a lot that they know that way as well, (laughs) North American children. Um, But in that way, there's really not a whole lot of difference. Um, But um, they also have to learn what we teach them in school, and they must learn it because they won't survive in this society if they end up illiterate and uh unable to deal with numbers and so that's why it's so important and that's why we absolutely insist that children must go to school as a matter of law because if they don't they're toast as they get older
0: Mm -hmm. but the focus is mostly with like education is that the difference between right and wrong so you you get the answer right and you get the points and grades and so on if you're wrong it kind of like you get uh, lower grades and maybe ridicule and so on and i think like in in schools what really matters is not whether you're right or wrong and we're like reinforcing certain things that that's why we also have a lot of division partly because of that whereas we should like look at the social skills the emotional skills the soft skills And I find that's not that's not practiced enough because the the, the school setting where children spend so much time, so much of the time that sometimes more than at home is so important for them to 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 teach them these very important skills that they need to function in society.
1: Well, in the American and perhaps North American system in an individualistic system. That's the responsibility of the parent. Sorry. I mean I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you I'm mm-hmm. saying this yeah. this will never happen I mean teachers give some attention obviously to social skills if a kid turn around slugs another one well they're yeah. you know that's dealt with right but uh in the larger sense of morality mm-hmm. ethics religion you know the philosophy of life this is not this is parents this is this is parents responsibility and uh the teacher who certainly in the united states maybe not so much in canada the teacher who strays into you know quote unquote indoctrinating mm-hmm. is is going to get a slap on the wrist if not worse so
0: but but this this void is filled with technology, and you have no idea what they're using. These parents are often too busy to to really like um, work with the kids. Because again, for a good reason, because we have to work hard to make sure we have enough to survive. So this gap is filled by technology, and technology. There's so much out there in the internet that is really harmful. And so what we're basically teaching is their values are coming from those sources, which yes. is scary. And so these
1: children are being. If we look at tradition, this is a great point, if we look at traditional families versus North American middle class families, mm-hmm. traditional children have. Plenty of opportunities pretty much every single day to observe their parents, their aunts, their uncles, their grandparents, other adult neighbors doing. The things that make that society operate both in terms of practical and social the situation you just described for north american middle-class parents you say oh we have to go to work blah 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 who are the kids observing here's what they're observing
0: yeah exactly
1: what are they learning oh. there hmm. well we don't see know they're... we don't know what they're learning there yeah. that's scary so we got problems Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and the problems many of these problems are occurring because of the kind of society we have built for ourselves yes you and me or at least I'm retired but you know we we got to go to work we got to bring in paychecks Mm -hmm. okay well people will say oh but now a lot of people are working at home Hmm. so right So what are they doing working at home? Envision that. The vast majority of people who work at home sit at a desk just like I am now. They have a screen in front of me just like I do now. And they have a keyboard on the table or in their lap. And that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So how long can a child watch that? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think we're talking about minutes here in traditional societies people are raising animals and and doing all kinds of interesting practical things they're collecting honey from beehives and they're searching for food in the forest and they're digging up mushrooms and and they're fishing and and they're building huts and you know and on and on so i mean that it's just those are fun things to watch now here's a point that that certainly occurred to me we're talking about like this 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 stuff is really rare in in our industrialized society right but there is still one group of people in our society where these conditions still apply family farms that raise animals
0: okay. yeah.
1: that comes as close to the traditional society as we're going to get in this society because there's things for children to do there's things for them to watch hey i was very fortunate to do some of my growing up on a farm even at four or five years old hey we need eggs go to the coop and get some eggs (laughs) yeah yeah right oh the 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 sheep is is calving you know they're they're having little baby lambs let's go watch let's see how let's how see how we aid that process how much more interesting is that than watching your parents sit at a desk and endlessly type type and have words appearing on the screen or talking like we're talking now i mean the differences are huge they're just huge
0: One of the things that also gets me is we're we're driving for money and we want to make sure they have enough money and so on. But the conception is actually that time is money. So in many ways, and uh, as an educator, this is odd for me to say this, but we're doing time, whether we're sitting in school, we're doing, we have our schedule, whether we're working uh, in the office and that's changed. Uh, Fortunately, it has changed a bit and hopefully changes more. But we're just doing the time, the, the, uh, the performance and what people accomplish in that time is actual productivity is is not as important as long as you are there from this time to this time, se- seated in the office or seated in a classroom. And I think we have to be more flexible with that and make it more individualized. And maybe some students need more time, whereas others need less. And to acknowledge that instead of treating everyone, it's like, okay, you did your time, now here's your degree. You know, is that, does that make sense?
1: Well, it makes sense in an individualistic culture, with you know, an an industrialized, highly technological, individualistic culture, um, because e- even in your statement, you're talking about what the individual needs, mm-hmm. right? You know, in a communitarian culture, what the individual needs doesn't carry very much weight. Mm-hmm. The good of the group carries the weight. Mm-hmm. So. These are these are really big differences and they and they make the study of different societies, traditional societies, uh, indigenous societies, so fascinating to see these are people just like ourselves. They grow up. They get married, they have children. uh, They want the best for their children in their society. But they fall in love, etc, etc, etc. Even falling in love, we could have quite a conversation about that because mm-hmm. in an individualistic society, we have an individualistic se- sense of love and what that is mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily apply in a communitarian society
0: yeah.
1: as differences everywhere you turn. Mm-hmm. And yet it's possible to look at them, and say well i can't copy what they're doing but seeing the what they're doing raises some questions that i probably should be asking myself about what i'm doing Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. different from just copying
0: yes yes that's
1: it here's what i came up with traditional well middle modern middle-class parents parent as much as possible traditional parents parent as little as possible mm-hmm. so we throw our heart and soul and our treasure into parenting mm-hmm. we give 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 we are responsible 24 7 until these and legally not just morally but legally until these kids reach you know 18 or something. Mm-hmm it's so different in the other families there as soon as a child is weaned the parents aren't really responsible for raising them they are when it comes to manners and morals Mm -hmm. but pretty much everything else they're with the children they're with their older sibling who's taking care of them 24 7 and the parents are doing adult things they're worrying about sustenance they're worrying about crops and you know so forth so this is why I say traditional and traditional parents aren't giving 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 they're receiving from children they're receiving when the children are young they're receiving labor they're receiving from children when they're old they're receiving care in their old age so the whole the whole ethos is different we tend to give to people younger ourselves they t- they tend to get from people younger than themselves. So that's why the rule is traditional parents, parent as little as possible, whereas middle-class parents, parents as much as possible.
0: What about in terms of learning and education and teaching, what would you say would be a a takeaway for, for us and for you personally, what resonated with you?
1: Well, we should be talking about my other two books that looked at education this book does not really look at classrooms now classrooms get mentioned because in some of these societies schooling is beginning to come in and even though the parents have never been to school some of the children are having opportunities to go to school because the parents haven't ever been to school they're not sure that sending kids to school is a good idea especially for the girls in some of these societies, they say, well, maybe maybe this. we have a boy here who really um, uh, seems, you know, pretty intelligent, so maybe we'll send him to school because he'll be able to get a job in the city and then he can bring home a regular paycheck. So what happens quite often is that the teaching in these in these societies where schooling is just coming in a new, the the, te- the whole the whole educational the whole instructional experience is not very good, and what often happens is that the child, usually a boy, not always, learns enough to to really be able to see that there is a very different life out there in the city, earning earning a living having a television, you know, maybe even in these fondest dreams, having a car and, you know, all of this good stuff, but they don't learn enough to get a decent job. So they're either they're not able to get a job at all because they end up being still pretty much illiterate and innumerate, uh, or they get a, they get a very low level job because they really haven't excelled in school. And it's not necessarily their fault that the schools are really substandard when they, in many cases, when they first come in. So it's a real challenge for them.
0: And maybe finding that balance too, because yes, it's it's really hard for them too to survive in if they move, and where migration is an important point, and immigration. So, and then also, I think one thing that uh, your book helps us to understand too is that that the mentality is quite different, the cultures are quite different, and to be able to have more empathy and understanding instead of seeing it from our own lens and judging them, to see it as a, from a lens of like. This is where they grew up. This is the lack of education here they had. This is the uh, obstacles or opportunities they had. And instead of jumping to conclusions, I think that is hugely important nowadays.
1: Well said. I have nothing to add.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much for this awesome discussion, Dr. Cornelius and Grove. Uh, your book is, again, How Other Children Learn. Yeah, what I'm five holding it up here. There you go. What Five Traditional Societies Tell Us About Parenting and Children's Learning. It's eye-opening. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for being on RASH as well. And I just
1: want to add that the book has a website, howotherchildrenlearn.info. Howotherchildrenlearn.info.
0: Okay, great. Noted. Thank you so much. Thank you.